Hi, friends. Welcome to Charlie and Steve Watch Stuff, the podcast where two friends talk about the stuff that they're watching with each other. My name's Steve Selnick, and joining me as always, Garbage Collection Day is usually on a Monday, but today he's making an exception, is Charlie Peppers. Charlie, how you doing today, man? I'm good, you know? I'm as good as can be for making an, an exception when it's not trash day. <laughs> oh well, you my know god, what? that line in the episode, we'll get to it, I just, I, I chuckled. <laughs> is that all you did, Charlie? You just chuckled? I, I might have also rolled my eyes a little bit. There was <laughs> Maybe also a little some eye rolling. Just a just tiny a groan. Just a sliver. Well, just yeah. a sliver. Well, we might as well just get right into it. We're here today to talk about just one episode of Batman the Animated Series. We've got a really fun two-parter coming up in our next episode. So instead of trying to figure out what to do with the extra time, we figured we would just cover one episode of our normal show, Batman the Animated Series. Then we would spend the second half of the episode uh, being true to our name as a podcast, going over some of the other stuff that we spend our time watching, because uh, honestly, this is our project and we watch other stuff for fun outside of this time. But without further ado, let's jump into the thing that we're here for, Batman the Animated Series. Today's episode that we're going to be covering is called Be a Clown. It was released on September 16th, 1992. It was directed by Frank power and written by ted peterson and strap in because this is a long one uh the plot of this episode is the joker infiltrates the birthday party of mayor hill's son to plant a bomb that's it i i fucks with it i fuck with this episode keep it it simple stupid keep it simple stupid the writers are nailing the joker more and more and i'm here for it Indeed. Well, we're trying something new in this episode. We've sprinkled our Riddler trophies throughout the plot of this episode. So instead of keeping them all for the end, we're going to be uncovering them as we go. And here, after our little in-depth description of what happens in the plot of this episode, we're going to uncover our first Riddler trophy. We talked about in previous episodes that the Batman animated series team was having a little bit of problems with their storyboard team and there were some struggles and i guess they continued in this episode and with those continued issues with the storyboard team a freelancer reportedly quit halfway through this episode's production forcing bruce tim to take over the role of storyboard artist for the second act of the episode so basically someone who had a history writing and directing the show had to also step into a storyboarding role and honestly charlie like i enjoyed this episode on an animation front a lot more than a lot of some of the other episodes that we've covered so far so oh yeah right? it moved it, it it moved and i really liked jordan mayor hill's son in this episode he was pretty clear about what he wanted he wanted his father's attention he liked magic so i think everything with him and particularly everything with him and joker in the amusement park was particularly chilling and scary and tense in a way that I wasn't expecting it to be. I was, quite frankly, very scared for Jordan. That's interesting. I thought, it's funny, I had this later on, but I want to, I guess we can just do it now. I kind of thought that they made Jordan look like a 25-year-old on Shut like, the an fuck up. body. I, like, I don't know. If you go back and look at his face, he looks like a man. He looks he like looks... a man. Like an animated man on a boy's body. I, I'm telling you. Is go he back a and, man? I, Is he an animated man? He's an animated 
grown ass man. It's just it's funny. I'm gonna call him grown ass Jordan for the rest of the grown ass Jordan. Oh right, my go god. I agree with you that the animation did take a step up, even though I I did think that Jordan kind of looked like a big man baby. But that actually takes me into the beginning of the episode, too, because I actually think that the first place where the animation team really flexed was actually in the destruction of this tower that the mirror was talking about. So we're going to go into the beginning of the episode now, which I thought was another fun moment of rich white men doing something that they say will make the city safer and then having an immediate example of why the city is not safer just because the rich white man says so. And this this example is the, the mayor standing in front of his new high-rise luxury tower, which I'm sure is just for rich people and that he's touting as going to be like a, a great place for Gotham. But, you know, a car comes crashing through and guys come out with Tommy guns blazing and Batman rolls through riding a, a construction beam like a... F- freaking pommel horse and knocks him out and says which by the way by the way they would be dead Dead, sure (laughs) if somebody just that's so funny pummeled them with a construction beam i kind of grimaced when i saw that this is the first time where you've said something and i've had the opportunity to go oh well i just went oh cartoon (laughs) which is Legitimately, what I did is I actually was just like, "Oh yeah, just f- that's a fucking cartoon, whatever." Yeah, that makes sense. He he yeah. he just knew the angles, I guess. I didn't think twice about it like that, but yeah, those guys would have had like multiple broken ribs at the very least. I know. He rode in on that construction beam like Miley Cyrus in the Wrecking Ball video. Oh my God, that's a uh, please and thank you. <laughs> this moment, or I guess this opening scene, gives way to the mayor essentially equating Batman to the Joker. And I put this in the in the, my notes for the episode, but if you know the meme of Michael Jordan going, and I took that personally, this is essentially the Joker's and I took that personally moment, basically being like, how dare you say that Batman and I are cut from the same cloth? And I love that. I love that oh, yeah. he took it so personally. Yes, and to what you said, I just wish that he would have pulled out a gun like Jack Nicholson in the Batman movie and just destroyed the TV. Him throwing a pie at the TV was so lame. It's like, that's all you're going to do? Just a pie? I like my Joker to go from violently laughing to just violently dangerous and unhinged. From violently laughing to violently violent? Yeah, to violently violent. (laughs) To violently violent. But essentially, the mayor also says that my mansion is impenetrable no one we're totally safe there no one's gonna come get me which is like come on you say that on the news you're essentially like after you say that batman's no better than all the villains in gotham and you're essentially inviting trouble and you know when you ask it shall come and it comes in the form of jekko the clown Honestly, Mayor Hill's cognitive dissonance, I'm just going to make that part of my headcanon now that he's so oblivious because he's so about the politics of it all that he chooses to keep his head down and think that he has everything under control. And maybe he does overestimate his abilities as a mayor to think that he does have everything under control and that he doesn't need any help. It just, it's pretty laughable that he 
really thinks that the police force has the handle on somebody like the Joker or fucking Poison Ivy for that matter. It's not infuriating, I think it's illuminating for his character, and I buy that somebody who's the mayor of Gotham, who wouldn't have left and tried to be mayor somewhere else, has a very high, borderline, delusional amount of confidence in himself. These are the same people who let Poison Ivy hang out in jail with a plant. I so. know! And it's very clear that the mayor still treats Batman like an adversary. And I don't personally know if whether or not the mayor is going to change his tune on that, but we know that certain authority figures are going to embrace Batman as more of an ally or at least someone to be less afraid of, less left as a mystery, as an antagonist. To to an extent, I'm going to push back a little bit, not entirely the show, or not even the show, the universe, the DC animated universe where this Batman goes from here to Justice League Unlimited to Batman Beyond. Law enforcement is never really cozy and Netflix and chill with Batman, for lack of a better term. It's always very... Well, it's just Gordon, right? Yeah, it's just, it's just Gordon. Gordon becomes one of Batman's best friends, mm-hmm. and that relationship flourishes throughout the show. Let's move on to the party. Let's talk about the party. It's party time for... I keep wanting to say Jeremy. His name's not Jeremy. It's Jordan. But it's Jordan. That's how, much, that's how much we care about Jordan, the 25-year-old, 12-year-old. Grown-ass Jordan. The party's for Jordan and for his birthday, allegedly, but it's not. It's very clearly not. Like, the this, this senator of the ambiguous state that Gotham is in shows up with his son, and the mayor's really just concerned about the photographer getting a good snap of him and the senator together and not making sure that his son is having a good time and before we go any further i do want to quickly rewind and just say i think it's really interesting that they you know i think it's important that they seed in the beginning that jordan is super into magic and that that's something that he's really into and the mayor at least knows enough to get a clown for his birthday so he's like okay i got a surprise for you it's the bare minimum, you, what, but I'll you, let him have Do you think it. it's the bare minimum, or do you think he's just, like, taking shots in the dark and sometimes you actually hit something? I think he's taking shots in the dark and you actually hit something. I think magician and clown, there's such a disconnect between both of those in my mind. Like, if I were going to invite a clown to a party, a kid's birthday party, I wouldn't expect him to do the kind of magic that Jordan seems interested in. You know, mm-hmm. but you know, we'll, we'll let him have it. We'll let him have it. You know that I had a magician perform at some of my younger birthdays when I was a wee tot. I don't know why you would know this. I've definitely never told you this, but yeah, my parents hired the services of the amazing Andy Ooh. a couple times who came and did. He wasn't a clown, thank God, but he was a magician that came to our house and did shows for me and all my cousins. And then when I graduated from high school? No, college. When I graduated from college, they found him and rehired him. And he came and did a magic show in our backyard to like all of my adult friends and family. And it was super fun. It was like really, really fun. Anyway, that's such a (laughs) non sequitur, but. No, 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 a non sequitur for your non sequitur. My parents, my 11th birthday party, I'll never forget this. 
they said, oh, we have a surprise for you. And I'm thinking, oh my God, it's going to be Sarah Michelle Gellar. It's going to be Sarah Michelle Gellar. <laughs> they got Buffy to come to my 11th birthday party in a basement in Brooklyn. Totally, totally easy to do. Am I right? And a oh, petition totally. came down and I was so disappointed. I was like rolling my eyes the entire time. He was like doing tricks with me. I was like, you're not the vampire slayer. This is like, oh my God, my parents don't know me. Nobody. I'm kidding. I wasn't mad. It was wonderful. I was delighted. I was thrilled. But listen, 11 year old Charlie could have been mad as hell. It's okay. <laughs> It's okay. We, you know, we can't be held responsible for what our our childhood wanted. Okay. Yeah. Did the did the magician try and make you a, a balloon animal? I don't remember. He was really cool. He did some cool tricks. He, a bird did come out of the palm of his hands. He oh, like clasp our hands together. That was really. We had cool. no live animals involved. That sounds way cooler. I just got like an elephant and a balloon animal. Oh, I would have liked that. Anyway, let's go back to this party. Before, now that we've unearthed a, a personal Riddler trophy, I'll take a pause here to talk about a couple of the Riddler trophies that we found from this party scene. In the party scene itself, the chef from Pretty Poison that was accused of poisoning Harvey Dent with his chocolate mousse, and the woman who was robbed at the beginning of The Underdwellers, <laughs> where she. She's actually the one that, and I'm kind of jumping around a little bit, but she's the one that looks at the sparking dynamite and is like, ooh, look at the pretty candle on top of the cake. Like, come on, lady. Anyway, two for two for this woman. And we actually have uncredited appearances from Detective Harvey Bullock, Senator Finch, and Councilman Fry. So if you go back into that party scene, you can see all three of them in the crowd mingling oh, about wow. throughout that entire party scene which is pretty fun yeah so the surprise for jordan's party is jacko the clown who is just very obviously the joker i just i feel like you think that feel like something is off with him right away i think the fact that you still see his yellow ass teeth the entire time also <laughs> kind of gives it away um, even though like he doesn't quite look right i just feel like there's a very joker and then I, as soon as the his laugh starts coming out, and we'll talk about that laugh in a second. It gets wheezy like the Joker, but then what really seals it is the, his little voice change when he goes, steal it. That's brilliant. I That was a great yeah. touch because my ears definitely perked up. I love when the Joker goes from jovial to just really, really menacing, and that was a great decision for them to make. It landed. I agree. But uh, luckily, Bruce Wayne is there because why wouldn't Bruce Wayne be invited to a, a 25-year-old, 10-year-old's birthday party? That's actually just so his dad can look good. Uh, gotta have the richest guy in town. He's carrying something large and heavy. Do we ever find out what it is? I don't think we ever find out what gift he got for Jordan. No, it never no. gets opened, right? It never yeah, does. I didn't. I didn't think about that until right now. But anyway, pretty much right at the moment that Bruce shows up, he, him, and Jekko cross paths. Of course, Joker doesn't know that Bruce is Batman. Bruce doesn't know that Jekko is Joker. So that's kind of a fun like ships in the night kind of moment he recognizes joker's laugh essentially and that gets him to look towards the cake and sees the dynamite sticking out of the cake and he's like uh-uh this is hey everybody we should probably be paying more attention to the giant 
dynamite looking thing that's currently sparking with Joker's fucking face plastered on it, but it's okay. None of us recognize that. So I think this is actually one of his more brilliant Bruce Wayne moments where he kind of is like rushing through the crowd and pretending like he's fumbling, trying to get his present over to a certain spot, but actually just knocks the cake into the water and gets it to explode in the water so nobody gets hurt. Like super smart Bruce Wayne move, just like kind of looking like a goofy idiot, but actually he knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah, it was very Christopher Reeve's Superman, the way he would act as Clark Kent when he was in the Daily Planet. So I think they kind of unintentional homage to that era and a little bit Michael Keaton-ish. I find watching these early episodes really interesting because the Bruce Wayne of season three would never. You know, it's so interesting to see that, like, they make him so smooth when they redesign him like they make him more handsome they give him not that this makes much of a difference they give him blue eyes like his posture's different he doesn't switch out of his batman voice anymore he just sounds like batman all the time and nobody really questions but i think if i'm writing that off as something in my head canon i think it's because in these early stages there is still more Bruce Wayne in him, but as the show goes on and he gets more beaten down, he just becomes more and more just 110% Batman all the time. So after the excitement of the explosion at the party, we're going to go through this kind of quickly because the show kind of hand waves this because they have more important things to get to. We find out that the real Jekko was tied up down the road and that Jordan is gone. And Joker didn't kidnap jordan jordan hitched a ride with the joker thinking that he was a sick magician that he wanted to learn from and they actually called back to the beginning of the joker's appearance as jekko basically being like if you want to become a magician run away from home and learn from the best magician you can find so he listened to step one um but bruce slash batman deduces the hiding spot really fast just from a banner Again, hand wave, whatever. He's at the carnival. Not 100% clear if this is like an old abandoned carnival or just like a closed one that Joker's hiding out in. It seems like he's got a pretty robust hideout there. So again, more hand waving, whatever. Batman gets lured into Joker's hiding place by Jordan, who has been suckered into thinking that Batman's actually the bad guy because again, he has no idea who this Joker guy is and just thinks that he's again a smart magician and his dad has been spewing all of this stuff about how batman's the bad guy and joker manages to knock batman out with some sleeping gas hidden in an ace of spades one more riddler trophy here this is the first time in the dc animated universe that batman is knocked out and finds himself trapped when he awakens However, at no point, and I want to talk about this, do his captors take advantage of his unconscious state to remove his mask and figure out his secret identity. And so I think the obvious answer for this is like, well, obviously the show would be fucking over if we did this. We literally can't. I think psychologically, Joker just doesn't want to be disappointed by whoever Batman is beneath the mask. Batman is such an idea to him. He's the order to his chaos. I think joker on some level also doesn't really want to kill batman he wants to keep doing this dance for as long as he can do it because batman is somebody that he is essentially trying to make crack and make laugh 
he wants to get a laugh out of Batman, and that's why he's doing all these crimes. That's, in my head, Joker's logic for all the shit that he's doing. Interesting. Well, that makes the next sequence a, a little bit of interesting motivation from the Joker, considering he puts him in a torture device and fills it up with water and tries to drown him while he watches and eats popcorn. But, yeah. I think Joker thinks Batman can get out of that. I think Joker is watching because he's almost like, oh, what's Batman? How's Batman going to get out of this? Because of all the shit that he's tried to pull on Batman, and of course, this is the first time we've seen him knock Batman out on camera that we know of it might have happened before i don't think that joker is stupid enough to think that something like that is going to keep batman down for that long i think that this is just foreplay for the joker and he is hmm let's see what happens i don't disagree with you i think that they the people who made the story maybe made a couple choices in this episode that could be an argument against that potentially I like when they're watching and Batman does break out of the straitjacket and he literally says they don't make straitjackets like they used to. I should know, which is, again, a funny throwaway line. But to me, that showed investment in watching Batman perish and being successful. Now, where I think that they don't quite go as far that if he was successful, I think that there would be like a like to steal a moment from Heath Ledger, like. I wouldn't know what to do if I caught one. Like, I wouldn't know what to do with myself if I was actually successful. So I think that, and maybe they haven't gone all the way with this yet, again, with you having the, the expertise of where they are going with Joker, is that, like, yes, and I think he's also, like, not really seeing that line of, like, I think he wants Batman to die, but he would also be totally broken if he actually was successful in getting Batman to die. All right, I think you're right. You've won me over on... You changed my mind. Maybe that's where Joker ends up, but that he's not there right now. Right. Because I... The version of the Joker that I claim as my Joker would want something with way more bells and whistles to kill Batman. And the fact that Batman showed up when he wasn't expecting him to show up and he didn't get any time to prepare and really plan for the big elaborate killing and... There was nobody to really witness it. It very, it rings as unJoker-like to me. But maybe that's because I know how obsessed he becomes with Batman down the line. Well, before we go any further with the Houdini trap, we do have to uncover our second-to-last Riddler trophy, which is this is actually like a pound-for-pound, scale-for-scale model of the actual famous water torture trap that harry houdini himself escaped out of in approximately two minutes i actually went back in this episode and timed how long batman was holding his breath for and it was approximately two minutes which i thought about being nitpicky about for a second and then i remembered that he's trained to be a literal ninja fucking assassin so like it doesn't bother me that Batman can hold his breath underwater for so long. I feel like that's kind of a given, probably. I feel like you don't pass ninja school without being able to hold your breath underwater for at least five minutes. Oh, that's what they teach you in ninja school. That's like... It's 101, dude. 101, freshman year. Ninja 101. Breath holding. <laughs> breath holding and tiptoeing 101. Oh, yeah. I just want to acknowledge that when it seems like Batman's going to drown in a straitjacket is when Jordan finally realizes that, hey, maybe Joker's the bad guy. Maybe a little late, but I appreciate <laughs> that he came around regardless. 
my 25 year old 10 year old grabs an axe tries to put a hole in the tank and then you know he, uh, he redeems himself by doing that he definitely you think so once he realizes oh shit joker's the bad guy he immediately turns around and i think jordan is pretty brave i'll give you that yeah that's fine like, i'll give you that i mean i think that he was being a little reckless not just in sneaking in the van and not questioning why this grown-ass man immediately didn't call his dad and say hey i got your kid the fact that he wasn't immediately like oh please don't tell my dad i don't want to get in trouble and just thought that this person was his pal which again maybe if you're a kid that doesn't seem suspicious to you but if i were jordan i would be sensing something isn't quite right with the moment with the sword swallowing and just all of that it made me pretty uncomfortable <laughs> not gonna lie uh, like what was joker gonna do <laughs> yeah i mean straight we talked about whether or not batman and robin had a problematic relationship this is <laughs> oh this is <laughs> this definitely is problematic this is the one we need to, to be talking about for yeah. sure yeah this this is nothing but weird which this is what we can very, only expect from the joker very weird well jordan does give batman a chance which i guess we can give him credit for because he runs off and joker chooses to run after jordan rather than stick around and make sure the deed is done with batman and that little crack in the glass is all Batman needs to kick himself out of there and escape and, and get out and start pursuing. And that's going to take us into the finale of the episode, which is honestly my favorite finale so far. I thought the chase scene on the roller coasters with Joker like hucking bombs at Batman was super fun. Quick final Riddler trophy to acknowledge that this roller coaster sequence was adapted into the third stage of the Joker level in the Super Nintendo, The Adventures of Batman and Robin, which just put that in another check mark of we need to play this game. Batman and Joker fight. Apparently, the sleeping gas goes from being able to spread over a 10 foot radius to being concentrated in a very small pellet that Batman just has to dodge by moving his head slightly to the left, but we don't have to be too nitpicky about that. And Batman punts his ass into the water, and I assume he just gets away because we don't really see what happens. Is there anything else about this roller coaster chase that you wanted to, to talk about? Adding to what you said about this being a level on the Super Nintendo game, before I knew that, which I just found out right now, I watched it and I thought, damn, this would make a great video game level. It like, felt, honestly, out of all the ones that we've acknowledged so far, maybe the plant level probably makes sense, but this one was like, oh yeah, this makes sense. Are you kidding me? It like a felt platforming. So fun. It felt platforming so on fun. roller coasters. Yeah. I bet that level fucking sucked. Oh no. Like, I, I bet it was hard. Like, it, you're talking SNES video game era which was a notoriously difficult and b they didn't give a fuck about continues or saves oh, no, you don't yeah. you don't you never saved your game remember the lion king game if you died in the lion king game you started at the goddamn beginning and you're grateful <laughs> same i mean just the lion king game any game from that era like super mario you don't have save states you start at the beginning and you either beat it or you turn it off and you start again the next time or you lose and you start again the next time oh, it's not man. like i think it not was... to be like all no. geezery about it but I you don't quick save like you can today <laughs> It was probably okay, because I think what made Super Nintendo games notoriously hard is that the timing of the animation and just what was happening wasn't what it would be for something like Xbox or PlayStation now. So I think the difficulty level 
wasn't in sync with the controls and how fast you can move or you couldn't really do anything. Everything was so stiff. That's a fair point. That's a really fair point. Okay. I'll give it to you. All right. Now the, the last thing I want to cover before we move on to talk about the Joker a little bit and give our final rating is Batman secretly returning Jordan Mm -hmm. to his dad. I don't think that his dad ever sees that it was Batman who saved him. Now there's two things that I want to talk about before we move on to just parking on the Joker for a minute and our final battering ratings. The first thing is I want to talk about deadbeat dad, Mary Hill. (laughs) Cause Mm -hmm. this guy fucking sucks. (laughs) I just want to say that if you're a father and you're having trouble connecting with your child, don't wait for them to get fucking kidnapped by a supervillain before you <laughs> pledge to try and connect with them a little bit deeper, okay? Don't let that be the thing that does it for you. So if if this needs to be the moment that you hear to try harder with your son or daughter or th- them, fucking just try harder. Don't wait for the Joker to kidnap them. I don't know if you have anything you want to add to that, Charlie. I just feel like that's classic 90s deadbeat dad energy. Oh my god, I think deadbeat dads haven't changed, especially when they have sons. He would have reacted pretty differently if he had a daughter, in my head. I think dads dealing with their sons have a lot of shadow work they haven't done, and this particularly shows with Mayor Hill and his son, but to his credit, he did... Well, not even to his credit, because that's a very low bar to set, like, showing sympathy for your kid after... You You know what, you're right, I'm not even gonna argue. Oh, fuck Mayor Hill. <laughs> <laughs> um, just the the final thing that I want to talk about is the just iconic thumbs up that Batman and Jordan gave each other there at the end. And it was so iconic. I immediately went to my phone and I have a Google Pixel. Shout out Google Hive. Uh, green bubbles forever. Fuck your iPhone. And I looked up in my... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I talk your shit. Anyone talk, Anyone listening to this, I'm going to personally give you love you, Steve, but fuck you for that. I have an <laughs> iPhone. We do not ruin group chats with the green bubble. I am here on behalf of everyone with an iPhone to say that I do not approve of that comment. Do not associate me with that. That's all. Pixels, that's all. Pixel sponsor us, please. That's all, Steve. <laughs> I will. I will stand on. I got Aaron to switch to Android, and I will stand on that point of pride forever. She loves her Team Pixel over here. Anyway, that's now that we're now that we're done stumping for our corporation of choice. Let's. <laughs> Let's move on to the point of what we were talking about, which is I went into one of the great features about my Google Pixel. I don't know if your iPhone can do this. If you go into your text messages in the same little section where you can add emojis, you can actually like look up and plant GIFs straight into your text messages. So I don't have to go onto Giphy and find them. They're just stored in like the system. And so I just literally looked up Batman thumbs up and the only option is this thumbs up that he gives at the end. And some of them have text that says like Batman approves. And so that's an iconic thumbs up that we just witnessed. An absolutely iconic, how is his thumb that big? Imagine how big the rest of him is. Thumbs up. Hey. You know what they say about you know what they say about big thumbs. Shout out to Brandon yeah, Cowan. Big Goodman. Gloves. I, I, big I gloves. learned I learned about that from him. Anyway, <laughs> that that's the episode. Be a clown. 
It was a good episode. I think it was a good episode. Uh, before we move on to our battering rating for this episode, I just want to quickly touch on the Joker and Charlie. I want to let you cook here a little bit. Give us a little snapshot of where you see the Joker now and how you've seen him progress so far versus where we're we're heading with him. He's definitely scarier. And I think they're playing with the dichotomy of how he looks and really changing his voice up. I this A lot of this rides on Mark Hamill's performance too joker going from really high pitch to really low in his voice that really does it for me because that says so much about the anger and the just the desperate psychopathic need to be acknowledged that drives so much of the joker i i really this was the first episode that the joker frankly terrified me i didn't know what he was gonna do with that collapsible sword I don't know what he was going to do if Batman hadn't gotten there to get Jordan back to safety, just him going on this just to blow up a kid's birthday party. I thought it was very, they're starting to make Joker click a little bit more for me. What did you think? No, I agree with that. What we're really looking for, are the feelings that he creates inside of us as we're watching it. And I think that that's a mix of entertainment and dread mm-hmm yes because, yes exactly that yeah. it's entertainment you're laughing he's laughing and you know at some point he's gonna keep laughing while you start screaming and he won't stop that to me is what makes the joker such a worthy adversary for batman he's just such a force of nature and this episode started to capture that was it perfect eh, not really but is it really showing great progress? I completely believe it's showing progress. All right, well, with all that said, let's move on to the battering rating for Be A Clown. We just flipped a very real coin and decided that I would be going first. That's a total lie. Charlie wants me to go first, so I'm going first. <laughs> I, I'm going to continue to <laughs> be like way too cerebral about this and continue to scale this not only based on how much I like the episode, but in relation to how I've graded the other episodes and where I consider like the lines of quality to be. So I'm giving this one three and a half batterings. And I I think it's like, if we were doing quarters, it probably would be 0.75. Again, I think four, four and a half are like banger episodes to me. And while this one was good and I was entertained by it and I saw a lot of good stuff in it, didn't quite cross into like full-on banger territory like potential spoilers i think we're going to be dealing with next week with our first two-parter so three and a half for me charlie what's your what's your battering rating so funny you're more generous than me this time three out of five batterings for me while they're starting to find the joker's voice and what works for him i think they're also still trying to figure out Batman and the cow. I think Batman talked way too much this episode, and I think he talked too much in the Underdwellers episode too. Maybe it's episodes with Batman and kids that he's mm. a bit more chatty because he wants to make them more comfortable, and that's me being generous, but him quipping, him giving a thumbs up, it, it was just so corny. Like, Bruce leave the jokes to spider-man it it just it doesn't suit him i i didn't like it i didn't like it three batterings leave the jokes to marvel is what charlie says next week we're really excited to be covering 
just honestly like some iconic episodes in the history of batman the animated series we're going to be covering the two-parter of the two-face arc they are titled two-face part one and two-face part two since this is charlie and steve watch stuff and we didn't want to just leave you with one episode that we watched we thought that charlie and i would take the opportunity to talk about some of the other stuff that we're watching right now when we're not watching the cartoon that we assigned to ourselves for this project because that's such a tough job i've been watching a couple of different tv shows one that uh, just wrapped up its second season and one show that i'm currently on the third out of three seasons on that i've been binging through and we're going to start with that one because it's probably the one that I want to spend the most time on, and that is Ted Lasso, uh, created and written by one Bill Lawrence. You may have heard of him from a little show called Scrubs, also known as, I don't know if you know this, Charlie, my favorite television show ever made. I fucking love Scrubs. It's I could go back to Scrubs really? at any point. I didn't know it, that. It'll Yeah. I mean, I, I think that you could watch it in 2023 and identify a, a good handful of problematic things that it did, but it is one of the finest examples of a show that can go from comedy to drama like that and really kind of like shock you with how much it hits you in the heart and how Mm. much soul it had it also and i guess this is turning into a scrubs discussion now is constantly rated as the most accurate medical show to ever be made okay respect Um, you're making me want to watch it more oh yeah i mean it's a fantastic show but for some reason I just never made my way over to Ted Lasso, even though it was written by the same people, like largely produced by the same group. And and we don't have to harp too long on it because I know you've only seen the pilot. So I guess this is my way of pitching to you to to continue to watch it if, if you feel like diving back into something. I am on a perpetual journey with my mental health and my self-perception and all of that stuff that we as men probably don't talk about enough and that we should so if that's something that you also struggle with maybe this is for you too i have said to myself do i need this show like no less than 12 times as i've been watching it just from how much it preaches not only belief and hope and being curious rather than being judgmental but it just shows fucking dudes going to therapy Mm. I just think that if you need something inherently positive in your life, and I think maybe a lot of resistance to it for a long time is because I wasn't allowing myself to let positive things in. This is a worthwhile bit of positivity that will also probably challenge your emotions a little bit, especially if you're a guy. And I can't recommend it highly enough. And there's just enough football to be cool, but there's not so much that you need to understand it. And I, the, one of the whole running jokes is that Ted Lasso actually doesn't understand a single role of soccer for the entire series. So <laughs> it's not a point of entry. So anyway, that's Ted Lasso. I love it. I also chiming in, that's so beautiful. I went to therapy earlier today and you're selling me on Ted Lasso as a show. I thought that it was bright for the sake of being bright without having any depth. And I clearly need to push past the pilot episode to give it more of a watch. Quick transition, just to give a a shout out to the latest MCU show that just finished airing at the time that we're recording this. The season finale for Loki just went off. Uh, Are you watching Loki currently? 
Is that are you no. are you up on those MCU shows? I didn't finish Secret Invasion. It didn't hold my interest, and I watched the first episode of Loki, which I have thoughts about. What do you think of Loki, the second season? I never thought MCU fatigue was going to get me. I just think that it's so... And it's not the performances. I don't even think that it's really the writing. The writing is doing what it needs to do. I just think that it's the structure of the stories there is so much heavy lifting and set up and reminding the audience of rules it feels so dense to the point where it can't really fly free and enjoy itself i agree with that i think that i mean i've man we've been so down bad for the mcu when i say we i mean my, my partner aaron and i and like we spent some time during deep pandemic times rewatching every single one of the movies through the first phases through Endgame Infinity War and we have a Google Doc existing somewhere with our def- quote unquote definitive rankings of all the movies and like when the show started coming out we were really really excited and I think what started to lose me was I started having a harder and harder time seeing how all of the shows were connecting back into the larger universe of it all Mm-hmm. And it seemed like they started to make the shows a little less consequential to the MCU as a result because they just realized that not as many people were watching them. And so they were like, okay, we need to make some of this stuff less important. I want to push back on that a little bit. Great. I think that the reason why a lot of the stuff in the MCU isn't clicking as much as it did in phases one through three is because new characters are taking so long to come back around and to be interacting with mainstay characters that we know we introduced like how many years has it been since we saw shang chi how many years has it been since we saw and i'm wondering if moon knight came out last year or the year before that moon knight had a show haven't seen moon knight again it just nobody mentions also that whole thing that happened in wandavision the fact that we got to falcon and the winter soldier and Bucky and Sam Wilson both know Wanda and they worked on a team with her and they didn't mention that shit at all that she went crazy and enslaved an entire town and the fact that Hawkeye doesn't mention the fact that now Sam is the new Captain America it feels so sectioned off from each other that they're all in the same universe but are they really nobody's mentioning anybody it doesn't feel like these are characters relating to each other it feels like new characters are being crammed in like crazy and like none of them are really talking or interacting and by the time that they talk or interact in the next avengers movie years from now it's like well that movie was seven years ago that they first were introduced in now we're getting to see them again it's taking too long to wrap back around because they're doing too much whereas when they kept it simple captain america thor iron man black widow hulk hawkeye you had enough characters that you were able to have the movies matter you know and the latter two didn't even have their own movies did you see the eternals hell no i refuse do you care if I spoil the Eternals for you? Sure. Spoilers for the Eternals, which Aaron has watched far too many times. The Celestials are like kind of the main antagonist of of the Eternals, these giant galactic beings 
we don't have to get into the backstory of the Eternals, but essentially the the story of the Eternals is that there are these beings that the Celestials have created, sent to Earth to protect Earth from these bad guys that, again, spoilers, the bad guys were also kind of created by the Celestials and they're all just, it's all sort of a ploy because Celestials are born out of planets. And so the sort of like big climax is that the Eternals realize that Earth is housing a Celestial and that they've actually been protecting the Earths to eventually let the Celestial be born. But then all the Eternals are like, no, wait, we like humanity. We don't want this to happen. So they stop the Celestial from being born. And there's just like a giant hand the size of fucking New Zealand frozen sticking out of the ocean at the end of it. Hmm. And we never hear about it ever again. Are you serious? We've we've still just never heard about it. Oh my god. And what's also killing me are all these mid-credit scenes <laughs> that are going to pay off in what 5 or 6 years? Just don't well, do in that, them at yeah. all. And in that those end credit scenes, you get a tease for Mahershala Ali as Blade. I did I read an article about that. I'm excited about that, but it just I don't know. It's getting to the point where I I don't even want them to have the X-Men at this point. I don't know how the X-Men are going to be handled. Like, are you just going to do one X-Men movie that's meh and not do anything yeah. with the X-Men for seven years? I think they're, they're doing way too much right now and they need to keep it simple. I just don't want to see the X-Men until they've closed the multiverse. Yeah... And and I think the thing that we can kind of close the Loki talk on, since there isn't much more for me to say about it other than I watched it, and I think I'm just kind of over the MCU right now, is that, and no, no spoilers for this season of Loki, but I think the way that it ended sort of leaves the door open for them to go, these were happening in different universes. Mm. But anyway, we can move on from our MCU talk. Our first MCU talk on Charlie and Steve Watch Stuff. Certainly not our last. Charlie, you're what I like to call uh, tastefully active on social media. Mm. I I just made that up right now. But uh, Charlie's a great follow on on the old Instagrams. And you recently posted two top 20 lists of your own. You posted your top 20 movies and your top 20 TV shows. And I know that we only talked about your movie list before this, but I I had interacted with you on this before I saw that you also posted your TV list. So I think I'm going to rope both of them in. I'm going to I'm going to take the assignment and I want you to take three entities from your top 20 lists, whether they be TV shows or movies, and I want you to tell us why we need to go and watch said TV show and or movie with our next free opportunities. Because oh. more than likely, this is also going to be stuff that I've never watched before, so I'm selfishly doing this for me. But if I've watched it, then maybe we can talk about it. Okay. Easy. Off of my movie list, I'm going to pull Kill Bill and Parasite. I have seen Kill Bill. I have not seen Parasite. Dude, I'm so excited for you. I'm Great. so excited for you. Your life is about to change that movie before the pandemic hit i think i saw that movie four times oh wow definitely did it win best picture it did that's right it did great film all about a family well, let's start with parasite then all about a family give us like the yeah give us the lowdown i 
really really enjoy how it doesn't start out as a thriller or a movie with thriller elements it starts off as a kind of a satirical social commentary on class and i don't want to give away too much of the plot but it feels like three different movies in one in a very beautiful way each layer of the film presents itself when it needs to in ways that are motivated by character and there are still probably six or seven moments in that film that terrified the shit out of me just the absolute bejesus out of me it's great to watch with an audience that's why i did it four times i i can't say enough good things about that movie maybe i'll rewatch it tonight I'll have to find someone to watch that with because I refuse to watch anything that anyone says is terrifying by myself, and I know for a fact that my partner won't watch it with me. So I'll have to, maybe that we'll put that on our list the next time we get to visit each other for sure. We'll yeah. have a we'll have a parasite check in, a parasite a parasitic check in, a parasite uh, post mortem. <laughs> my Correct. next film is Kill Bill. Uh, you said you've seen it before, but I'm just gonna say Kill Bill is such a love letter to cinema. Mm. It the first talk about that film, yeah. Volume one is a love letter to kung fu films, and volume two is a love letter to westerns. And both of those movies, watch back to back, tell a very ambitious story, and it tells it very well. I could watch Kill Bill Volumes 1 and 2 every night for a week. Two weeks might be pushing it, but I could watch it every night for a week and not get tired of it because there's so much good stuff in it. The performances, the writing, the fight choreography, some of the best fights I believe we've seen on film are in that movie. Shifting gears to... The TV show that I would pull off of my list, I would say Insecure, which finished its run at the very end of 2021. So it wasn't that long ago that it was on air, but that show is so dear to my heart because it is about a female friendship between Issa Rae's character, Issa, and Molly. And all five seasons are about them learning to be better friends to each other while they're navigating their careers and relationships with men and how they handle the microaggressions thrown at them for being black women in LA. And also the way that it films black people and shows black LA is unlike anything I've seen before because so much of LA that we see on TV is very, oh, this is Hollywood, this is Entourage, this is, you know, the industry, which tends to be very white male-driven. Insecure shows that there can be a show made by black people for black people that places the lives of black characters front and center in a way that normalizes the experience, but in doing that makes it revolutionary not just for black people watching it, but people outside of the experience who can come to find things within themselves that they have in common with an Issa or a Molly. And I would say that season four of the show is the best deconstruction of a friend fight that I've ever seen. Season four is all about a friend breakup 
and it is some of the most gripping shit I've ever watched. And you feel for the friendship the way that you would feel for a breakup of romantic partners just because of how deeply invested you are in their friendship after three seasons of work. It, oh my god, I love season four of Insecure. Love the whole show, but season four is a masterpiece. Love it. That's so beautiful. I, it's on Max, right? Yeah. Insecure. It, that was an HBO show. I'll have to put it on the top of my list as well. And maybe this is something that you relate to based on how you feel about Insecure. I can't remember the last time I watched a TV show where I was legitimately rooting for the characters. Mm. Like I actually felt invested in their success and their heartache and their like their failures and their I picked up a little bit of that in how you talked about how you related to these characters and insecure just like being able to truly invest in them for their flaws and for their strengths and for their growth and all that stuff so I think that's really cool oh yeah it's also hilarious and everybody in the (laughs) cast is just so gorgeous that does help it does help when they're funny and pretty that is for sure funny and fine Funny and fine, just like you and me, baby. Hey, hey. Well, that's gonna do it for this episode of Charlie and Steve Watch Stuff. Thanks for joining us as we talked about Be a Clown from Batman the Animated Series and some of the other stuff that we're watching. We're going to be back next time with our first two-parter in Batman the Animated Series. Now, this is Two Face Part One and Two Face Part Two, aka the origin of Two Face in Batman the Animated Series, aka the fall of Harvey Dent. We're very excited to dig into that one. So thank you so much for joining us as always please remember to rate and review this podcast charlie and steve watch stuff wherever you get your podcast any sort of feedback really goes a long way for us and for our improvement and for our enjoyment so thanks for being along this ride with us so far go forth and watch some stuff yourself for charlie and steve we'll see you on the next one bye